This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. There were fireworks at the motocross in Washougal. Flat Track returns this weekend. And how is the U.S. Speedway team doing? All this and more on this week's Power Sports Podcast. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Power Sports Podcast. I am your host, Jason Baffrey, joined with my good friend, Eric Colvin. Eric, how are you today? Doing good today. Doing good. All right. And we are happy to have, for the first time on the Power Sports Podcast, we have a guest in studio with us, and we'd like to welcome the owner of Grand Prix Speedworks, Mr. Jake Latimer, to the studio and the microphone. Thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Well, let's get into uh, some of the weekend's racing. The motocross, the Lucas Oil Pro Motocross Series, was in Washougal, Washington this past weekend. And Eli Tomac took the overall win once again, and he got the better of Ken Roxon. So the Kawasaki rider coming on strong. He's getting comfortable with the ride, and he's starting to give Roxon a run for his money. I don't know that he's going to be able to overtake him in the championship points, but uh, it's good to see Tomac kind of having some success here midseason. It is. I like to see a really good race at the end on this deal. Yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. And with the uh, the rumors of Roxon going to possibly Honda in 2017, uh, if he could pick up another championship for the RCH Soaring Eagle Jimmy John's racing team, I'm sure they'd be happy with that goodbye present. But that would mean uh, some big things for the team Honda HRC in 2017 if Roxon is riding for them at the level that he's riding right now. Never, ever a loss for riders changing teams all the time in motocross. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in the two, uh, 250 category, there was some action as the two front runners in the point standings, Cooper Webb and Joey Savacci, who apparently there's no love loss there. Uh, Webb riding for the, uh, the star Yamaha team and Savacci with the Pro Circuit Kawasaki team. And uh, basically... Savachi took in Moto2, took Cooper Webb a little high in the first turn off the starting gate, and then uh, they had a downhill section going into another left-handed turn, and Cooper Webb got in front of Savachi and brake-checked him, and they both went down, and it ended up taking Jeremy Martin out with them. But uh, I think there's pl- plenty of frustration to go around there, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but there's always a little vengeance that takes place on a motocross track. It would have been interesting to be in the pits and see what the team managers had to say about all of their sort of personal problems with each other. Yeah, I would imagine so. So it will be interesting to see what happens in the in the next event. And if they that continues, those guys could fool around and, and mess each other up pretty badly if they keep that up. Not only with a points chase and stuff, but also uh, the officials with the racing series with blatant rough riding and stuff like that yeah well alex martin was able to get the moto win as a result of that and uh you know good weekend for alex martin once again and you know he started off the season he was leading the points and had won a couple of overalls but not got a moto win but now he gets a moto win and so he's feeling pretty good right now on to uh, Speedway racing action. This week is the FIM Monster Energy Speedway World Cup, and the first two events have taken a place, the preliminary events, and it was Poland taking the win in the first event, 
And in the second event, which is the one that Team USA rode in, uh, they were racing in Sweden against Sweden, Australia, and Germany. And Sweden and Australia took off pretty early in the points against each other, and USA and Germany were pretty much fighting for the spot to go into the runoff on Friday night, but it was actually uh, some incredible performance from Greg Hancock to score enough points to hold on and get them third place in the event and get a spot into the runoff on Friday night in Great Britain. So whoever wins the runoff on Friday night will go into the final round on Saturday. So Team USA on Friday night will be racing against uh, Australia, Russia, and Denmark, and that is going to be a very tough race. They will go on, whoever wins that event will go on to race on Saturday night against Great Britain, uh, Sweden, and Poland. And Sweden and Poland, who each rode in different uh, preliminary events, both looked outstanding. Bartosz Smarslik on Saturday was just riding a- incredible, and uh, same with Antonio Lindback for Sweden on uh, the their preliminary event on Tuesday. But just some great racing overall in the Monster Energy Speedway World Cup. The United States has got, definitely has a has a lot of work to do. Um, Hancock undoubtedly is their anchor in that team. He is the guy that that keeps the United States alive uh, over there in world competition. Yeah, and I mean, it really showed as I watched it. I mean, obviously, he gets to race against those guys week in and week out with the Speedway Grand Prix series. But, uh, you know, Billy Gennaro, who's multi-time AMA Speedway champion running out in California, he looked good a couple of times. But overall, Team USA looked a, about a notch behind uh, everybody else. But, you know, Germany hasn't had uh, just extreme success in Speedway. And so, you know, they had their struggles as well. But you could definitely see that Australia and Sweden really were the teams to beat in that event. The United States has got their work cut out for them, but at least they didn't go out early and they're going to make another round and I'm hoping that they can continue this. So AMA Flat Track is back in action this coming weekend and they will be at the Charlotte Motor Speedway Dirt Track and uh, we've we've left Jake silent for a little while but I want to bring him in now before we get to the important stuff to talk to but as AMA Flat Track returns Jake you had a couple of things that you've seen on the newswire uh, regarding that but before we get into that I wanted to ask you Charlotte if I'm not mistaken is a fairly banked track uh, at their their dirt track and what is that like riding I mean you're you're a rider yourself you've worked with several of these teams coming into more of a banked style track what are the riders going to have to do to get ready for this weekend I don't know that they'll necessarily have to do anything completely different from their their setup that they you know use every day and every weekend and week out um, it's just really adjusting to the track um, you're right it is it is banked um, which can lead to definitely some uh, some faster quarter entry speeds because that banking tends to hold you there um, but it's all going to be about setup and uh, it's a fairly short it's not a huge huge track by any means it's definitely not a mile track so close handlebar to handlebar racing and uh, the guy with the best setup is going to win 
Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the news uh, that you were you were telling me about, uh, some news with the textures. And uh, actually, today, I just saw an article. Uh, Shayna Texter was in featured in an article with Forbes magazine talking about AMA Flat Track and some of the diversity there and uh, what Shayna Texter is doing with the Richie Morris Racing Team. So that's some great publicity for the series and for Shayna. But uh, she's going to be joined by her brother, Corey, this yeah, weekend. Yeah, Corey's been running his own program this year. Um, with some help from some real good sponsors, and uh, he's decided to to join team with uh, his sister Shayna and the Richie Morris Racing Group, and uh, they develop their own in-house chassis and and uh, build all their own bikes. So um, I think that's that's exciting coming into Charlotte. Um, also, you've got Sammy Halbert. It's uh, going to be his first ride out, uh, basically as a privateer again uh, after splitting ways with the Briggs Auto Group, uh, Johnny Goad tuned uh, motorcycles um, that he started the year off with. He's going to be back as a privateer, and uh, the Briggs Auto Group will be debuting Jeffrey Carver out of Illinois uh, as their head rider. Mm, interesting. Now, Halbert was riding a Harley. Is he going to continue? Is his privateer deal going to be on a Harley? Do we know? Uh, from what I've heard, he will be on a Harley this weekend, yeah. Okay. And speaking of Harley, I uh, believe also it's going to be Davis Fisher's uh, return um, after he fell down in, uh, at Lima, broke his wrist, and he's on the mend, and uh, he's been doing some training back home and posting some videos, and he says he's 100%. Yeah, and that was kind of the hope is that after Lima that he was only going to be out for a little while and be able to be back in time, you know, as they've had a break for a few weeks, that he would be back in time for this event. So that works out great that the uh, the Harley XG uh, will be back on track and Davis Fisher, and, and he's been uh, showing some promise here this year with the new team, with the new Harley team. Yeah, he's got a, you know, Davis has got a, you know, I know him on a personal level, um, and he's extremely talented. And I think he knew going into this year, he was going to be a developmental rider. Um, and the, you know, the top finishes probably weren't going to come as easy as they did when he was racing pro singles or GNC one last year, um, where he was, he was pretty unbeatable, but, uh, uh, he's a lot like Scott Parker. I think he's going to uh, take everything. Uh, he's going to learn how to ride really, really fast. And as that motorcycle develops, he's going to be uh, a fight fighting for the win real soon. Yeah, and and he's a young guy, so he's got a lot of time ahead of him. But I mean, he's looked really good at times this year. And I think, I mean, and you say, I mean, you know him, but based on the the rides that I've seen him with a developmental motorcycle, they have to be happy with what's going on over there. I think just putting that thing in a main event, you know, was a was a goal and and they did that the second race out so uh i think that harley's ecstatic with him yeah yeah and um, they're getting help with the vance and hines team uh, i've seen terry vance and and former nhra pro stock motorcycle champion matt hines uh, out at some of the events with him helping davis out and the vance and hines team obviously has enjoyed a lot of success in drag racing but of course in road racing as well and with their involvement along with Harley, there is a huge brain trust there, and I can tell you, uh, I know the Vance and Hines team pretty well, and those guys don't like to lose. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I don't think anybody goes into these uh, into this flat track motorcycle racing with any idea of uh, w- winning is is number one for yeah. sure. So, uh, w- what else is going on? What are we going to be looking for this weekend at at Charlotte? Well, again, I think it's going to be the the rider that shows up with the best setup and is able to adapt to the track conditions quick. Um, you know, it's a tacky track, but somewhat slick on the bottom. Um, and once the sun goes down and the moisture comes up, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a barn burner. 
Yeah, it should be a lot of fun, so be sure to watch that uh, this coming weekend. Now, let's talk a little bit about uh, what you have going on, Jake. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you're the owner of Grand Prix Speedworks. For people that may not be familiar with what that is, you build tanks and bodywork for a lot of the flat track motorcycles in the GNC series and also street trackers and custom bikes and things like that. And vintage bikes. Yeah, Grand Prix Speedworks, uh, formerly Grand Prix Plastics out of California, um, that has been in business. Oh, heck. Eric can probably help me out better with that since the 60s anyway. At least the 60s. They were the premier bodywork manufacturer for road racing and dirt track uh, for decades. Yeah, yeah. And that that company uh, was brought to Wyoming um, about 15 years ago. Um, where I took it over and uh, and just recently uh, moved here to Oklahoma City just about three months ago. But the big news, and we, we kind of announced it on last week's show, but you have recently uh, taken uh, the Vintage Dirt Track Racing Association. You've taken it over. You'll be running that series uh, from, from this point out. And uh, congratulations, or I'm sorry, I'm not sure which to say. Uh, it's always a daunting task to have a racing organization or run a track or put on events, anything like that. I know from personal experience. So you've got, uh, I'm sure, a lot of weight on your shoulders, but we've talked and I know you're very excited. And I know from my standpoint as a fan, I'm excited to see what happens now. And uh, there's a lot of hubbub on the internet. It's a lot of people, uh, a lot of excitement building. So what are what are the plans and what led you to this point? Um, I've raced vintage flat tracks since, uh, since I quit racing AMA, uh, pro racing. And, uh, I always traveled every year to Waco, Texas, which was a big VDTRA race. And since I moved out here to Oklahoma, I noticed that, uh, uh, there wasn't a lot of tracks around like there used to be. I mean, the VDTRA actually started out in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, it started out as a, you know, just an exhibition show at, at certain events that, that grew into this national series that went coast to coast. And um, slowly in the last decade, it's it's fallen to more of a, just a Texas region. And, um, you know, it's definitely not just me. I have a lot of great people behind me, um, uh, Carrie Cannon with Cannon Racecraft and Cannon Spring Company and, and Eric Colvin, uh, Colvin Motorcycle Company. And, and um, we just, it, it was, I think that the owner at the time has, has taken it as far as he could. And, uh, you know, we just approached him and we came up with a really good plan and I, I sold him on some of my ideas and, and he basically let me, let me run with it. So. That's great. And the next event, which was was the next event on the schedule, but it will be in September, September 24th, if I'm not mistaken. September 24th in uh, Siloam Springs. Yeah, yeah, Flint Creek Speedway. So uh, that'll be great. And you're making you're making some changes to the organization as far as classes and, and what what's going on there and also introducing a new series as well. That's right. In conjunction with uh, our vintage series, we're also starting a, another series that will run alongside called the Grand Prix Hot Shoe Series. And that's going to consist of modern bikes um, from kids on 50cc bikes on up to uh, pros on 450s and twin cylinder uh, AMA type motorcycles. And so this series will travel in conjunction with us and run right at the same track and uh, allow a lot more diversity and a lot more uh, make it a lot more rider friendly for people that want to try it out for the first time or, or travel a series. Well, as somebody who's grown up around racing in, in Oklahoma, I mean, we are very much uh, a dirt track state, but very much a kind of an open wheel sprint car 
state too uh and and some stock car racing you see a lot of stock cars you see a lot of sprint cars uh the late model series don't quite make it this far west um we see some late model races every now and then uh on the east side of the state but there hasn't been flat track racing around here i mean obviously we just had the the big ama flat track event at remington park uh, the OKC Mile, and that's the first time we've seen flat track on that scale since the the mid '90s. But on a local level, Yukon would have been would have been it. Uh, or every once in a while, you still have the Hera Barn. Yeah, and I mean that hasn't been. I mean that the, the Yukon Hera Barn has goes been on. gone for forever. Yeah, but as far as a real organized series where people can get involved and people Nothing. can go out and and race and and go see some good good flat track racing, we haven't seen it around here in uh, pretty much forever. I mean, the Hera Barn gets a few flat track riders, motorcycles yeah. that that'll show up over there in the winter time and uh, that's an experience all unto itself and you should it is you should uh, you should maybe go check it out but as far as you know what we would think of as a uh, a professionally organized event that is running a regular series at tracks that um somebody like myself or somebody that's just interested in getting involved in in two-wheel racing um, could go out and potentially participate or learn or or just hang out with the guys. Um, We haven't seen it. So it's exciting that you are looking to increase the the events and the participation and and give the young riders an opportunity to get involved with this sport uh, because that's something that I really don't think we've seen in a long time around the Oklahoma, Texas, you know, this part of the United States. I mean, basically, you have to go East Coast or California, I think, to really start seeing young riders being trained up in flat track racing. And of course, uh, a little bit of the North, uh, the Michigan area and that and such. Yeah. And that's uh, the Grand Prix Hot Shoe Series will definitely be a good development series for for uh, the younger riders coming up. And also, you know, as a flat tracker, we go to motocross races and we say, man, you guys are nuts. And the motocrossers come to flat track races and say, man, you guys are nuts. So so <laughs> a knobby class, we actually added a knobby class for your local motocross guys that, you know, don't want to lower their suspension and put wheels on their motorcycles. Um, you show up with your motocross bike and we have a knobby class uh, as well as a, as a quad class because um, there's a lot of that around here and everywhere we go and uh, lets them get their feet wet and uh, get a little bit of taste of what we do. Yeah, and the addition of the hooligan class. That's right. Yeah, the hooligan class, which... Uh, that's for your guys that come uh, to the races. Maybe they have a street bike that they've ridden or they think they want to get started and they don't have the money to, to do a special built bike and so they can just take the lights off of what they got and they can come ride. That's right. Any production motorcycle... Uh, as long as you tape up your lights or remove them, we don't care if you keep ape hangers on it and drag pipes or <laughs> floorboards or saddlebags, <laughs> right. whatever. Well, that could get interesting. And believe it or not, that class is growing in popularity. Well, yeah, very, and er- very. Eric and I have talked about it on previous shows. Uh, I mean, with Roland Sands' involvement uh, with Indian motorcycles, they've been doing some really cool things with the hooligan class and running in conjunction with some AMA flat track events. But uh, And then we've talked a little bit about the uh, inception of the vintage production class that you're going to have 
in the VTTRA, right? It Vin- is correct. Vintage production, uh, which is similar to a hooligan class, but for older motorcycles. Now, explain a little bit of the difference and how, if somebody is th- that's listening to this, how they would differentiate what they were going to do or what they are able to do based on the mi- the bikes that they have. Okay, you want me to pick the uh, vintage side, or you want to take the modern side, or what? Yeah, yeah. Explain the what the, what is the vintage production? All right, vintage production is pre nineteen eighty or like design. First question is what's like design. Like design, for an example, would be the XS650 Yamaha that was made past 1980. It's exactly the same motor, basically the same motorcycle, just different trim. So you have pre-80 twin-cylinder, four-stroke, air-cooled motorcycles. They have to be in a production chassis. You can change the bodywork, obviously, where uh, not only Grand Prix Speedworks comes in, but ourselves come in with uh, modifications to the chassis to put bodywork on it if you choose, but you don't have to. You got to take all the lights off of it. You can run traditional WM3 19 inch flat track wheels, or you can run the stock wheels that came on it. You can't run knobbies. You got to run a DOT tire or a Class C flat track type tire. You can run whatever kind of air cleaner you'd like run whatever kind of exhaust that you would like Uh, you can run flat track handlebars or you can run the stock handlebars on it it's pretty much production motorcycles build it in your garage and come race flat track and it's pre-1980 pre-1980 okay and so the hooligan class in the grand prix hot shoe series is, is a different class correct it is a different class yeah this is this is basically for uh, the guy that is sitting in the stands, um, and he says, hey, I can do that. And we say, well, run. you rode your motorcycle here, so go get it and put some tape over the lights and uh, come on out here and race. So basically zero modifications. It's, it's how, however you have it customized or, uh, or whatever, and, and you can come race. Yeah, so if somebody has, uh, say, a Harley Sportster and they want to get it out on the track, this is your opportunity. It is. got to a scrambler you've got a triumph it could be a dyna we don't care yeah well that could be interesting i I look forward and and it's a great way to get people involved in in the sport uh at a low cost entry level that was the that was the idea and also if you're going to ride if you have a an individual that's got a bsa twin that they're going to ride in vintage production they can also ride the hooligan class with it okay Mm -hmm. absolutely okay what other new things can we look for with the vintage dirt track racing association well the whole premise behind behind this is uh you know we've we've changed the rules up a little bit um where we don't follow all the rules as all the other organizations and basically our definition of uh the vdtra is a vintage engine and a twin shock chassis we don't limit rules as far as suspension and fork size and carburetor size. And basically, we want it to be just like it was back in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s or whatever, where these guys were working all week before the race, trying to get that last horsepower or two out of their motor or working with suspension companies to try to get something that worked a little bit better or a new tread design on their tire or whatever. Um, with a lot of the rules the other organizations have, you're limited. You, it doesn't allow you to think outside the box and develop um, and come out with new things. So, again, vintage engine with a twin shock chassis, and, you know, this is 2016. We want to utilize a lot of the modern technology that we have in suspension and 
triple clamps and adjustable triple clamps and adjustable suspension and and allow these guys to you know build the best bike you can and come out and race how many uh how many total classes are you expecting at this point right now we have 15 vintage classes and 15 modern classes wow that's incredible three of those vintage classes are pro purse paying classes and um two of the uh, modern classes are purse paying classes okay so let's just say that somebody uh, a young up-and-comer they they saw the flat track races either on tv or they went out to the remington park i mean now this is an opportunity that with the grand prix hot shoe series you could have a a a younger 13 14 15 year old who could come out and race with that series and start working their way towards possibly ama gnc2 correct absolutely this this series will be a um, a stepping stone you know, to get the experience that you need on different racetracks, just like the AMA Professional Series is. And um, and absolutely, uh, we already have a lot of AMA uh, GNC1 and GNC2 riders that are excited about this new series and uh, and uh, have said that they're going to come participate. Really? That's yeah. A, that's fantastic. Can, can you name names? I'm sworn to secrecy. <laughs> I guess we'll find out September 24th at Flint, That's Flint right. Creek, maybe. Uh, maybe some of them will show up. Well, it's very exciting, and it's exciting to see a new racing series uh, around this area. And... Um, certainly something that's motorcycle related something that we haven't seen in a while so there's there's a lot of excitement building around this yeah and it's going to be it's going to be go back to uh similar to what the ama pro racing schedule is this will be a national series again it's not going to be uh, a few racetracks in texas or whatever this uh you know we have Siloam springs coming up september 24th we just uh inked a deal to run a double header three-eighths mile in Albuquerque, New Mexico, October 22nd and 23rd. And you're actually hearing that here first. That's not even uh, not even advertised yet. Well, and, Albuquerque uh, in October sounds really nice. Absolutely. And and we're working with a couple different racetracks to uh, to finish out our series on November 5th. Um, we might possibly see us in uh, Louisiana. We'll see. All right. Well, that's very exciting. Eric, I know you're excited because we've been talking about this uh, off microphone, and uh, I know that you're heavily involved with this as well, obviously, from the technical standpoint and as a racer yourself. And uh, this is just a great deal all the way around. All the way around. 360 degrees, I don't see how this can fail. Um, It was time for the VDTRA to move onward. Uh, It had been almost pigeonholed in Texas, but not in a bad way. It it needed some stability, and the previous owner did that. And he brought a lot of people on board to help stabilize the series, uh, went to some racetracks that would host a VDTRA to stabilize that series. Uh, he had taken it about as far as he thought he could go with it, and it needed a new face, and Jake was that guy. Yeah. So, um, and, and not to turn this into a commercial, but because of the nature of of this and it being new, that people that are looking for motorcycles or looking to get involved, um, not only are you guys involved with the, the organization, but as we mentioned, Jake builds the bodywork and everything. And, and we haven't talked a lot about it because Eric is just the co-host of the show and we, we're here to talk about motorcycles. But Eric's gig, if you will, is building chassis for uh, flat track racers and, uh, and other custom bikes and things as well. But if you wanted a turnkey flat track motorcycle to go racing with the VDTRA, 
these are the guys that you could talk to to find one locally. And what's nice is Eric's in the front and my shop's in the back. So it's literally one ten, stop shopping. Ten, stop, 10 steps back. That's it's right. It's a one-stop shop. And we have enough connections in industry to where we can help anybody with almost any budget get involved. Yeah. Absolutely. That's great. So uh, if you're listening to the show, you want to go flat track racing and you want to go in this area with a series and uh, start learning and start riding or start participating with a lot of fun and a lot of fun people, uh, we encourage you to, uh, to check this out. One thing I'd like to add is that there is a, a very interesting class because a lot of the vintage series has been pegged on over 30 riders, right? Mm-hmm. But we have a class called Vintage Sportsman. Now, Vintage Sportsman is very interesting in the fact that we're trying to get a lot of the guys that are interested in riding vintage motorcycles that are pre-30, especially guys in their 20s. So anybody in their 20s can look at our rule book and pick an era of the motorcycles that they would like. It could be 80s vintage, it could be 70s vintage, any of the classes with a brake, because some of the classes are brakeless, okay? But any of the classes could be 600 vintage it could be vintage twins whatever if they it could be production class if they will choose that motorcycle build that bike acquire the bike whatever we take all of those guys and put them into vintage sportsman it allows them the opportunity to ride the vintage bikes and to see if if this is what they want to do and where they want to go where they don't have to ride with a lot of the modern bikes if that's not their interest hmm. very interesting and um as we mentioned i mean you're going to have all ages in the grand prix hot shoe series so like my five-year-old five-year-old son if i wanted to get him started in flat track racing there's a class uh, there is a class for that as as long as my wife doesn't listen to the show i might be able to pull that off <laughs> <laughs> but right i mean you, you start them out that young 50 cc 65 85 i mean on up from there if you got a 125 a 250 or or an open class bike we we have a class for you and all those rules and all the schedule and uh, all the information can be found at vdtra.org, which is our new website that just got launched last week. Uh, real simple, real basic, to-the-point website. Um, it's got all our flyers, our entry form there with online pre-entry. Um, and also you can find us on Facebook at VDTRA on Facebook. Awesome. Uh, just out of curiosity, uh, I mean, flat track racing, I mean, we talk about it being the um, America's oldest form of motorsports almost. Um, but how in the Vintage Dirt Track Racing Association, what are some of the oldest bikes that we might see out there? Eric on his bike. No, <laughs> no not the oldest guys, <laughs> but the oldest model of motorcycle. In the 50s. In the 50s? In the 50s predominantly. Now, we have a hand shift class, which is pre-50s. Uh, but those those particular motorcycles are getting more and more rare, and the ability to keep those motorcycles up is, is becoming more challenging, which uh, Jake uh, iterated earlier that we have had some rule changes. Um, and those rule changes were to help support a lot of the vintage bikes. There's a lot of products that aren't available anymore to use on these vintage bikes. And they still allow, industry still has products that can be used to service these bikes and to keep them going, but a lot of other organizations won't allow those products to be run. So we approached it from two points of view. From a business point of view as being a shop owner 
And a rider's point of view is what can I buy to keep my vehicle going? What can I buy to fix my motorcycle when it breaks? And we incorporated that into the rule changes. Yes, it opened up the rules, but it made it easier for the riders to participate in the VDTRA series versus other vintage racing series. Yeah, I can't imagine that it would be uh, too easy to find parts for a, a 50s era, uh, you know, anything other than maybe a Harley. And I would imagine those are getting difficult to find as well. A lot of that stuff is getting hard to find. And when people find it, the as you can imagine, it's worn out. It needs a huge amount of restoration and fixing, and it costs a fortune to buy it in that condition. Yeah. I can't even imagine I've, uh, the the skill it must take to ride a bike of that age with the way that they, you know, the suspension and, and that or sort of thing. Of. A lack of. Exactly. Uh, would have to be very interesting. But, uh, I, you know, the, the heyday of flat track racing, you know, the, the 60s, the 70s. I mean, I imagine you see a lot of those bikes. Uh, you mentioned BSA earlier, but we see some of the uh, some of the other kind of big time uh, motorcycles from the, the 60s that come out to, to some of these events. Yeah, that's right. And a lot of, uh, you know, when this series first started in the mid 80s or early 80s or even into the 90s, a lot of the the people that did vintage racing were people that were familiar with 50s and 60s and 70s era racing, where as a lot of the new group of people that are coming out aren't familiar with their they're too young to remember any of that kind of racing. So uh, a lot of the, the genre, if you will, of, of new vintage riders are familiar with 80s and 90s motorcycles. So. Yeah. Well, I, and I think it's it's interesting, and people that don't, don't get really deep into it may not realize the, the number of different motorcycle manufacturers that you had in those areas from, uh, you know, all over. I mean, the European brands were the big brands then. I mean, it wasn't Hondas and Yamahas. And, I mean, you, saw, you had Harley-Davidson's, but, I mean, you talk Triumph about BM, BSA and Triumph Norton. and Norton's and just so many different motorcycles that existed back then that, that don't now. So it would it would be cool just to come to the event just to see some of those old bikes in action. Always, always. And there's a large selection of those motorcycles at all of the VDTRA events. And one of the things that that jake has done uh technically which i think is a is a great idea is like what we talked about with the a lot of the nostalgia drag racing where we like he said we have taken out a lot of the the wheel widths and a lot of the suspension restrictions to actually make the bikes safer because you know as well as i do that a lot of true vintage equipment was very challenging to drive or to ride yeah. And with the ability to improve with suspension or to improve with wheel width, it makes the bikes safer. And I think that anything that you can do to make it easier to build the bike and to maintain the bike and to make the bike safer, I think in the long run is going to make the series a lot better. Very good. Well, Jake, uh, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to come into the studio and, and talk to us and fill us in with everything that's going on. Uh, if, again, if you want to find out more information about the upcoming event in September, again, that's September 24th at Siloam Springs. Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue. In conjunction with Bikes, Blues, and Barbecue, which if you're a, a motorcycle aficionado, you're probably aware of that event. But uh, Flint Creek Speedway in Siloam Springs. Uh, look up the website, vdtra.org or you can find VDTRA on Facebook. And uh, Jake, thanks again for coming in, and good luck 
with this new endeavor. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me in, and and don't forget that you promised to come and announce yes. on our race in September. Yes, I did. We appreciate you coming. I did, and we'll we'll talk about the Albuquerque thing when we go <laughs> off air too. Um, so, Erica, last week we talked a little bit about some of the industry stuff going on, and we mentioned that there is potential for a buyout of the Harley Davidson Motor Company. And you had a chance to actually do a little research on uh, the company KKR, who they said is looking at the purchase. And what have you found out in the last week? I found that KKR is a private equity company. Uh, They're out of New York City, and they specialize in leveraged buyouts. Uh, is under in Wikipedia actually is under their description and it also says that the firm sponsors and manages a lot of private equity investment funds so it seems like that it is a buyer's group like a corporate investment buyer's group that they've got uh, a manager that manages all of their slush fund uh, that they would otherwise possibly use for taxes yeah so they're looking for a tax shelter well and it may be one of those companies too that looks for uh corporations that are in a little bit of financial trouble and comes in and and takes them over and uh but hopefully you know if that happens they will they will retain uh, the people that know about building motorcycles and marketing motorcycles and and harley will just keep on clicking down the road um We'll just have to wait and see what happens with all of this news. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, It's my understanding through a lot of the industry publications that right now it is just negotiations. Yeah. But after negotiations, there's a lot of other federal merger processes that that they have to go through. Well, I'm sure with any kind of uh, corporation or corporate sale on that magnitude, where you're probably talking billions of dollars, you have to have the SEC involved and uh, lots of lawyers, and that that process could take a, a lengthy amount of time. It's not going to be an overnight deal. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think so. But uh, in the meantime, we'll keep our eyes on it and try to keep you up to date uh, as as we move along. And, uh, you know, in the meantime, as we mentioned last week, that, you know, Indians uh, share of the market is is expanding along with victory. And then, uh, you know, there's other sections of, of the market that are doing quite well right now. A lot of the market is growing, especially. Uh, in the ATV and UTV market is actually getting really, really big now. Yeah, and we're going to uh, take a future show and we'll get more in-depth with the, the UTVs and talk a little bit about that and some of the options out there and, and the new popularity of uh, those particular types of vehicles. So that'll be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that. That part of the market almost exploded. It wasn't it wasn't, hey, this is kind of cool, and it sort of grew slowly. As soon as that type of vehicle was introduced to the market, it instantly was a success and exploded and continues to grow. And about the time that industry thinks it will plateau, it doesn't. It grows again. Yeah. Well, they're, they're an interesting uh, option for uh, people that are into uh, going out and having fun off-road. Uh, it's not. It's kind of like a dune buggy, but not as pricey as what dune buggies have become in recent years. And it's uh, it's a little bit safer than a four-wheeler because there's a roll cage involved. Uh, probably a little easier to drive for a novice who hasn't learned how to ride a motorcycle or anything like that. But uh, 
they're uh, they're pretty interesting, and we're seeing a lot of racing series uh, be formed around those as well. Score now has a very popular class for those for the forced inducted side by sides, and then they have a regular side by side class. Yeah. Well, I've taken a look at some of them, and uh, they are uh, they're pretty interesting. They've got turbochargers, and I guess those things will get up and go. So, should be a lot. It would be a lot of fun to get out and ride one. I would imagine. They're very diversified. They're very useful. I think a person that buys one is looking for anything from using it on the weekends uh, for pleasure riding, okay, with the family or with his friends, but also hunting and fishing. Yeah. Yeah, well, there's certainly the utility option as well. Well, we'll get more in-depth in that in, in a future show, and uh, that's about all the time that we have for this week's Power Sports Podcast. Don't forget, you can listen to us at Oklahoma Talking Company. That's oklahomatalking.co. You can also find us on iTunes and download directly to your iOS device. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, at Talk. Also on Instagram, we try to have most of the social media covered here at Power Sports Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Once again, thank you to Jake Latimer for coming in and talking to us about the Vintage Dirt Track Racing Association. For Eric Colvin, I am Jason Baffrey, and we are out of here.